right, well, good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here today. And uh, how do you like my Halloween costume? I am, uh, I am I'm going this Halloween as a, a guy who broke his foot last night. So I, uh, no, it's not a costume, obviously. I, I, uh, I stepped out the front door to get a package. I wish I had a good story. I, I stepped out the front door to get a package. Somehow, you know how you can roll your ankle? I didn't know you could roll a foot. And somehow my foot rolled underneath and uh, went to the urgent care and broke a couple bones. And um, so it doesn't hurt that much. It's just uh, I can't stand or walk. So uh, I'll be teaching today from sitting down. I hope that works for you. And uh, you don't have to, nothing to applaud for my clumsiness. All right. But we're going to get going, and uh, I'm, I'm so excited as we get to continue this series together. Um, well, in New York City, uh, I don't know if you know this, there are 8 million cats and 11 million dogs in New York City. And uh, for what it's worth, there are only 8.5 million people. So there are more pets than there are people in New York. And, and there's a problem that comes with that. New York is just a land of concrete and steel, right? So if you have a pet, and that pet eventually passes away... You can't just go out in the backyard and bury it. Well, the city has decided to help solve that problem. For $50, uh, they will dispose of your deceased pet for you. You call the city, you pay 50 bucks, they'll come on out. All right, this week, I read about an entrepreneurial woman who saw that the city was charging people, figured out a way to save pet owners money and make a buck for herself. Here's what she did. She put an ad in the newspaper that said, when your pet dies... I will come and take care of the body for you for $25. And what she would do is she would go to the Salvation Army and she would buy an old suitcase for $2. And when somebody would call about their pet, she would go to their home and she would put the deceased pet in their suitcase, in the suitcase. And then she would take a ride on the subway where there are thieves. And she would set the suitcase down. And she would act like she wasn't watching, and inevitably a thief would come by and take it, and she would say, stop, wait, thief, just like that, while the criminal ran off with the suitcase and the dead pet, leaving her with nothing to dispose of and $23 richer. I think it's kind of ingenious. Um, my guess is the people who stole the suitcases were in for a, a, quite a surprise when they got home, right? When, what was inside was not what they expected to see. Well, as we continue in our series on the great heist today, I, I wonder if that story about a suitcase doesn't kind of fit a little bit of where some of us feel like we have been with our faith. Now, I don't mean to say that your faith is a dead cat, um, but, but maybe sometimes it is felt with your faith like, like, like you got your hands on a suitcase expecting to find something wonderful inside, something life-giving and affirming and, and, and something peaceful and like treasure inside the suitcase, treasure in your life with God, but then you opened it up and what you encountered was Halloween. You wanted Christmas, you got Halloween. And, and what we've been doing this series is we've, we've been kind of calling out some faith forgeries. When I say that, what I mean is some lesser things that have gotten swapped in for the better original that God had in mind. Some, some things that are kind of part of our faith experience that maybe we've been told. Maybe we learned them through osmosis. We're looking at things that look as if they are what God intends our faith lives to be. And we're realizing that that somehow they got in the way of something much better that he had in store. What we fell for was a forgery. And let me just tell you right away, the forgery we're going to look at today is an incredibly difficult one to see. 
Um, I, I'm of the mind that, that people who have any kind of connection or, or affinity with any kind of religion or, or faith, they are predisposed to fall for this forgery. It's incredibly difficult to see this forgery because many of us are mistaken in thinking that the point of our faith is this forgery. Like the way that we know we're doing the God thing right is if this thing is going on in our lives. It's difficult to see this forgery because there's a really good chance if you're 18 years old, you've been falling for this forgery for 18 years. You've been living with it. If you're 45, you got 45 years of this forgery under your belt. If you're 70, you get where I'm going. I'm going to try to show you one today that is kind of hard to see because you may have been living this your whole life, and when you are that used to it, it's difficult to see it as anything other than God's original idea for you. That said, there's another reason this forgery is difficult to see. It's because it has to do with forgiveness. And if you have ever been wronged in a very real way, maybe even a traumatic way, this forgery might be the thing that allowed you to stay sane in being wrong. This forgery might be the thing that, that's made you feel like you're protected somehow. And, and, and let me be a little more specific. If you've ever been wronged in such a way that it feels like your power has been taken away from you, this forgery makes you feel like you've got your power back. This forgery makes you feel powerful when you have been made powerless. That's why it can be hard to see it as anything other than good. A few years ago, a man named Dalen McLee, Dalen lives in Pennsylvania, Dalen was wrongfully arrested after a fight outside of a bar. Um, he was at home, and he got a call from his sister saying, can you come pick me up? A fight has broken out here at this bar. And when he arrived at the bar to get her, a man was standing outside in the parking lot with a gun. And Dalen walked up and somehow disarmed the man, and he threw the weapon far away from this guy where the guy could not get it. Well, just as he did that, the police arrived, and they assumed that Dalen, a black man, was the suspect. And one trooper started firing shots at Dalen as he ran away. Well, Dalen was arrested because that same police officer that fired said the reason he fired was because Dalen pointed a weapon at him. And sure enough, when they found the gun, it had Dalen's prints on it from when he disarmed the original guy, threw it away. All right, he spent a full year in jail, away from his kids, away from his mom who was terminally ill at the time. And when the case went to trial, guess what was found? Security camera footage that showed that Dalen disarmed the real suspect, threw the gun away quickly, and then only started running once the police showed up and started firing at him. He never at any moment pointed anything at anyone. So after a year in jail, he was acquitted. He went home, and Dalen had power. Dalen who had been made powerless for a year, now that the truth was out, he was powerful. Like, would he forgive? Would he do something else? What would he do with his power? The world was watching. All right, I'll tell you in a few minutes what he did. But if you have ever been wronged, and, and that's everybody here, the reason the forgery we're going to look at today can be so difficult to see it as, as a forgery is because it has to do with forgiveness and power. And forgiveness can be hard to do when you're hurt, and power can be addicting when someone has made you powerless. When you've been made powerless, this forgery might feel like it is what got you through. It might feel like it's the only thing that you have left. So today, I want to show you this forgery 
I want you to see it. And, and then I want to show you the original that God had in mind, the original, which is far better. It's even better when you have been wronged. But here's the thing. I'm not going to just out and out tell you the forgery right away. You're going to have to go the long road with me to see it. In fact, I, I think the only way people like you and me see it is if we go the long road, although this won't be that long. 20 more minutes, I promise. So let's start by looking at some words of Jesus. Um, early in Matthew, Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount, and he, and he says some things in this. We've talked about a few of them the past few weeks. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. And then Jesus says this. Take a look, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, that is so short. Let me read it again. But, but it's short. It's got some meat in it, all right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. All right, we're going to dive into this a little bit, especially this word mercy. But let's just kind of recognize something right off the bat. Mercy is a word we use so many different ways. I'm not sure we're all thinking of the same thing that Jesus was thinking of when we read this verse. When, when we say mercy nowadays, we mean mercy can simply mean to us forgiveness, right? That's one that comes up when we think of what mercy is. Some of us would say, well, mercy means compassion. You could show mercy on somebody who's down and out. It's compassion. Sometimes mercy uh, it can be kind of a less emotional forgiveness, more about withdrawing a penalty. So like if, if a judge has mercy or one of the things we say is uh, throw yourself on the mercy of the court, the judge doesn't have to personally forgive you, but, but he had mercy on you. He gave you a lighter sentence. That's one way we might define it. Mercy can mean a number of different things, and we use it a lot of ways. We, we say, Lord, have mercy. Uh, mercy can be somebody's name. Mercy, as you heard earlier, when paired with the word no, no mercy, was even one of the greatest mission statements of all time for a dojo in the San Fernando Valley in the 80s, Cobra Kai from the Karate Kid, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. By the way, that movie still holds up, you guys. And, and the new series on Netflix is so awesome. If you have not watched it yet, if you get nothing else out of today, go home and watch Cobra Kai. But... These words of Jesus are actually very hard, aren't they? If you think about it, these words. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Whatever mercy means, it would seem that Jesus seems to say, uh, if you have it, uh, you've got to use it. You've got to give it if you want God to give it to you. And that, that is a problematic thought. Do you, do you ever read the Bible and think, did Jesus really mean this? Like, there's no way he really meant go an extra mile. He didn't really mean to give somebody your coat if they asked for your shirt. He didn't really mean to turn the other cheek. All of that was probably exaggerating for effect. Um, Soren Kierkegaard, who's a 19th century philosopher, he said this once. He said, many people think that the Christian commandments, for instance, loving your neighbor as yourself, are purposefully made too strict by Jesus. Rather like the clock being put half an hour fast to prevent them getting up much too late in the morning. In other words, Jesus doesn't really mean we have to give mercy to everyone in order to get mercy from God. He's just putting the clock ahead 30 minutes on this mercy thing. He doesn't really expect us to live this out at that level. But crosswinds, what if Jesus does? Can we, can we go back to Daylon McLee, the guy that was wrongfully arrested, spent a year in jail? The guy who had been made powerless, but now that everyone knew he had been wronged, all of a sudden had all the power Sometime later, he was sitting in his house when he heard a loud 
boom, outside the house. And he actually thought it was a small earthquake when he heard it until one of his family members ran into the house and they said, Dalen, there's been a car crash outside involving a police car. Dalen sprang to his feet, he ran outside, and when flames began to spread into the cabin of this mangled car, he pulled the police officer out into safety. He was actually credited with saving this police officer's life. And when his friends questioned why why after all the, the police put him through, he would do this, he said, listen to what he said, there is value in every human life. We are all children of God, and I can't imagine just watching anyone burn. No matter what other people have done to me, I thought, this guy deserves to make it home safe to his family. If that's mercy, that's a beautiful thing. And maybe what Jesus is calling us to is, a, is very hard, but maybe if we didn't think that Jesus was exaggerating, our world would have a lot more of this, and, and your world would be a better place. Now, there's still a problem We're not quite sure what mercy is. We know it when we see it, like with Dale and McLee, but it's hard to to live it if you can't define it. And we've got all those different understandings. Lucky for us, Jesus explains what he means by, uh, by mercy in a story that he tells sometime after this. Matthew 18, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says this. You can read along with me. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master, the king, ordered that this man and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, real quick, in their culture, one way you might end up a slave or an indentured servant was that you rang up a debt too great to pay back and you had no other option but to be sold like this. This was a real thing in the ancient world. So, verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, right here, I want to just stop. Before we read the rest, let's talk about what we just saw. Because right there, what you just saw tells us something about Jesus' idea of mercy. Remember, this is Jesus' story. He's the one who's making it up. And if we're not careful, we read this story and we add to our list. Okay, maybe mercy is when a debt gets canceled. Let me put that up there. Maybe mercy is when somebody gets something they don't deserve, or I should say something good that they don't deserve. Again, maybe mercy is when you get saved from punishment. That would be life-altering punishment. I could see where any of those would be takeaways from what we just read. But I want you to notice something different in this story, something that, that often gets overlooked. This king has been wronged. And he is owed something. This king has power because he has been wronged. And the king lays down his power. He lays down his superiority. He gives up a claim to what is rightfully his, his money back. And if this king had any kind of moral high ground, which I would argue he did, the king gave up his power. Now hold that thought. Verse 28. Now. That servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Let's stop again just to make sure we're getting this. 
The servant does this too. He, he, he does this to a fellow servant who is a peer of his. This guy does not have power over this servant like a king would have over the subjects. He doesn't have positional power, but he has a different kind of power because he is owed something from this other servant. The other person is indebted to him. It's probably a little bit late at paying him back like he was with the king late. And so he's also been wronged. And, and, and remember, when you've been wronged, you have power. Like Dalen McLee, who spent a year in jail for a crime he didn't commit. Sure, you can feel powerless when you're being wronged. But once it's been recognized that you have been wronged, oh, there is power that comes with that. And so, just like the king who had some power, this servant now has the power. And he goes to a peer that he has power over that's wronged him. And he says, give me back what you owe me. In verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all this debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? There's the word. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Jesus, as he tells this story, uses this word that we've been talking about. The same word Jesus used earlier when he said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, this thing. And what I hope it is that you see is that when Jesus uses it, it's not about paying off a debt or showing compassion on somebody down and out. And it's not even as simple as forgiveness. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness when you have the power to hurt someone. Mercy is forgiving somebody's debt, pulling somebody out of a car, lessening someone's sentence when you have the power that you have because of a wrong that they've done to you. And what Jesus is saying in this story is this is what God has done with you. God through Jesus, made himself powerless. God, who has every right to hold a claim over you, right? God, who has the right to hold the moral high ground for as long as possible against us, the ones who have wronged him, he chose to make himself powerless, to lay down his power, to refuse his power through his forgiveness. And that is mercy. All right, now let's just time out for a second. You ever get into an argument with your spouse and, and you did something wrong? You clearly are the one who is in the wrong. And you know because you're in the wrong and everybody knows you're in the wrong. All you can do is apologize. But you also know they're going to hold this thing you did over you for a while. That would never happen in my marriage. I'm just saying it's a thing I've heard about in people's marriages. You're going to be in the doghouse. You know, we've used that, we say doghouse. When we say you're in the doghouse with somebody, what that means is you did something wrong and your spouse or another person has power over you because of your wrong and it's power that somebody plans on hanging on to for a long time. And maybe it's for good reason that they're hanging on to the power. Maybe because you made them feel powerless and now they think they need the power to feel good about themselves again or, or to not be scared anymore or whatever. When a person has been wronged, no matter what power has been stripped from them, you know what power they get to keep? The power of being right. 
It's the power that comes with being owed by another person. And it's the power that, that, that means the other person should come and they should fall on their knees and beg you for forgiveness. When I have been wronged, I may not have much, but at least I am right and I stand on moral high ground. And with that comes power. And mercy is when you set that aside. In Jesus' day, there was this saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And the idea was that if you got into a fight, somebody blinds you in one eye or knocks one of your teeth out, you get to do the same to them. That sounds barbaric, doesn't it? Can you imagine that today? But in, in their time, that law, it was actually a sign of an advancing civilization because prior to that, retribution was delivered with an escalation. Like if you blind somebody in one eye, they should blind you in two. Or better yet, they should just kill you. So an eye for an eye was, hey, let's be reasonable about this. <laughs> because this thing happened to you, you now have the legal power to do something to them, but you have to limit your power to the level of the original offense. The idea, though, if somebody wrongs you, you now have the moral high ground. You've got the power to get back at them. It was about power. An eye for an eye limited your power because before somebody wronged you, you thought with your moral high ground you had all the power in the world. All right, Jesus tells this story where a king is owed something. He's been wronged. He doesn't use all the power in the kingdom that is at his disposal. Think about that. I mean, he's the king, and he doesn't even use his limited power. The king steps down off of his moral high ground, the one he rightfully has, and yes, he forgives but he shows mercy. He sets aside or refuses his own power. And Jesus says, this is what God does with you. He makes himself powerless in order to forgive you. He set aside his moral superiority and, and the power that comes with that to extend forgiveness your way. And he's asking, he's expecting you to do the same. Crossman's, let's be honest. The times that you have withheld forgiveness from someone, usually, usually, it's your final attempt to hold a claim, some power over the person that you're not forgiving. If I choose not to forgive you, that is the way that I hold on to my power, that I get to keep my moral high ground above that person. And Jesus says, mercy is when you give up that control. And so, in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy, part of what he's saying is, blessed are those who have been wronged, given moral high ground and all the power that comes with it, and decided not to use it against others. For they can know that God has stepped down from his moral high ground to extend forgiveness to them. All right, if you haven't figured it out yet, the forgery that we've been talking about today is what I'm calling the moral high ground forgery. And I took you the long way to get there, but I will tell you, guys, this one is so difficult to see. Um, I grew up in church. I, I grew up around Christianity, and, and I've always been taught that this world is full of evildoers who do wrong things, and they make the world a worse place, and often they do wrong things to you, and you can rest and find comfort maybe in the fact that you are one of the good ones, the right ones, the superior ones, the morally better ones. You're better than them. You're better than that. And, and, and maybe we don't say those exact words today, 
But what comes with any faith system that focuses on obedience and a set of standards is that your reward, at the very least, your reward is to be included in the category of people who are good, upstanding people, who have the moral high ground. And there is power that comes with having the moral high ground when you've been wronged. And I need to tell you, that is a forgery. And the reason it's so difficult to notice it is because what comes with being a good person is pride in being a good person. But what comes with that is the sense that you are a good person and someone else is not. And boy, when that other person has wronged you, part of what gets you through that is the knowledge that you're better than them. You're morally superior. And this might sound crazy, but Jesus says here, that is a forgery. And what God had in mind, his original idea, is something better where you step down off your high ground and you extend forgiveness. Even as I say this right now, as we've been walking through this, most of us have someone that we have struggled to forgive. And, and I by no means want to make it sound easy. It's not easy. But part of why we haven't forgiven is because as long as we don't forgive, we've got power. We've got a claim over that person. We've got control. We're on the high ground. And I'll tell you, God's mercy is there for you anyway. But I, I wonder if part of what Jesus is saying here is, if you want to experience that mercy, like know what it is to feel as if the God of the universe had a claim and gave it up for you, to experience that personally, then you've got to have given mercy. And, and I wonder today, if you might be able to step off of your moral high ground, extend forgiveness, and with that, you get to start to experience the mercy that God has been trying to show you. Now, right after Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, you see it says, blessed are the pure in heart. And those two things go together because what he's saying here is, if you are willing to step off your moral high ground and, and extend forgiveness. You've got to do it in a way that is pure, that does not have an ulterior motive, that does not use forgiveness as a means of controlling someone. Sometimes even forgiving someone can be a power move. You've seen that, right? H have you all been forgiven by somebody who reminds you all the time that they have forgiven you? That's just more moral high ground, isn't it? That's not real mercy. It's somebody says, I forgive you, but I'm watching I forgive you, but you owe me. All right, the reason blessed are the pure in heart is attached to blessed are the merciful. It means blessed are those who show mercy with no ulterior motive, who relinquish their control. And, and I wonder if some of us here would say that we have shown forgiveness because we know we're supposed to forgive. So we've done that, but we're still holding on to a little bit of power a little bit of high ground that comes with forgiveness. And Jesus says here, what you get, if you're willing to get rid of your ulterior motives, your power, is you can see God. In other words, if you trade your moral high ground for mercy, you will be shown mercy by a God who wants you to see him, to know him. Um, can I tell you what that looks like to know him in his mercy? There's a verse in the Bible, maybe you've heard this, it, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. All right, that word new, right there in that passage, new every morning. Can I tell you what it means? Never before experienced. 
Think about that. That means that God has mercy for you today that is different from the mercy he gave you yesterday or the day before or the day before that. That a different kind of mercy, it changes every single day, comes into your life. You know why it changes every day? Because you didn't sin today the way that you sinned yesterday. You've got a different strain of sin, and God's got a different strain of mercy for it. Think of it this way. The number of days that you've been alive is the sum total of the different kinds of mercy that you've received in your life. So by the time you're 21, you've experienced 7,665 mercies. When you hit midlife, it's nearly 14,600 different kinds of mercy from God to you. By the time you hit retirement, God has mercied you 23,725 times. But for you to see it and see him doing it, you've got to give mercy. What would it look like for you to do that today? I want to challenge you. I want to invite you this week, invite you just to consider a specific situation where you've been wronged and you are holding power. And I bet everybody can think of at least one. And I want to invite you not to pretend you weren't wronged, not to choose not to pursue justice if you need to for that wrong. Those things are not mercy. But to step off your moral high ground, relinquish the power you've been holding on to, and express forgiveness. If you do, God has a new mercy for you each day this week that you'll begin to see. All right, would you stand for closing? I want to say stand with me, but I won't be standing. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we praise you and we thank you for your loving kindness and your mercies, which are new every single morning. God, we thank you for stepping down off the moral high ground that you deserve to come to our level in the form of Jesus. And you show us your mercy. You show us your grace and your forgiveness and your compassion. May we do the same for others. And as we do, God, may we see you and your mercy toward us in fresh new ways. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week. Does life hit you so hard that you've been knocked down? Have you gone too far to find the middle ground? Did they raise you so high just to pull you back down? Have you been so lost you could never be found? Cause I've been real, I've been fake 